how do I identify as an ashama, as a soul, so that nothing else defines me? And also, how do I do this with others so that they cannot define me? And not only that, but I can define them as neshama too. How do you live a soulful existence? Similarly, another question. How do I live in a geula mindset, a mindset of redemption? Now I'm taking a couple others on the same wavelength. The question is, what am I anyway? Do I even deserve good? And how do I deal with thoughts that come up in my head that are impossible to ignore? How do I internalize what I learn? And will life ever be good? Or is there always going to be hardship? That's a sad question. They're all sad. Don't you think? What? Can't hear. Oh, the Nishamba wasn't sad. Right, because it was just the same question, just to put in more positive spin. But it's really the same question. You could ask the same question and say, I'm living in a life of goof. Everything is... What? Yes, very positively framed, absolutely, and uh, kudos. Of course, we're looking for honesty and truth, so if you ask the question this way, then we're going to deal with it that way, because that's the real truth of how you're feeling. And so, if you lie about how you're feeling, and you pretend like you're feeling fine, then you never get to grow. And so you've got to say the truth. And when you say the truth, you can actually get a, an answer and a response. So we're going to deal with today the question of what differentiates successful people from failures what's it going to take for you to be an absolute unbelievable incredible success at everything you do don't you want to be a success because when a person says over here these questions what are they saying do I even deserve good it means sometimes we feel rotten inside we feel miserable it's like you get ripped and torn apart from inside and the problem is that sometimes it's things that are really going on in our lives, that there's dysfunction and hurt and, 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 and harm and humiliation going on from all sides. And sometimes it's maybe even worse. There's actually nothing going on that's problematic, except the problem is me. And I'm just depressed. And I've got existential questions. And I'm wondering, what am I anyway? And do I deserve good? Those kind of questions. And I don't know how to ignore those thoughts. Because what we think is, what it feels like is that Hashem needs to help. Something needs to happen on the outside for my problems to go away. Even when the problem's internal, like being depressed over life, for no reason. So you want Hashem to like, Hashem, get me out of this. And please do something. And therefore it feels like life will never be good. And there's always going to be hardship and always going to be challenged. Well, we want to recognize the challenge of life. We're not going to deny it and say it's all rosy and dandy. In fact, we're going to look, learn how to look at things in a new light and thereby conquer the problem. Because here's the story. Success doesn't happen over there. It happens over here. No thing has to happen for you to be successful. The greatest, most incredible unbelievable place you could ever be in. Most successful is 
The place where you stand is holy. You're in the best place ever. How? How do we know that? Why? Well, because no bad comes from above. We're going to use all our Hasidic knowledge to realize and Hashem is creating this moment right now, right this second. And yes, even if you are the cause of the mess up. And what needs to happen is nothing. Nothing needs to happen. All that has to happen is that we shift the way we look at things and change our perspective. And yes, this is going to be how you shift from a Nefesh Bahamisdika perspective, an animalistic way of looking at things, to a godly, divine way of looking at things. And what we're going to do to take a look at this is take a look at what happened to the most challenged person in the Torah. No doubt about it. Hmm? Who? Yes. Okay, I mean, that's enough. Yes. Yes, if I was thinking about, since he's timely related to the parasha. So, um, he's phenomenal. His story is just, you know, like, it's unbelievable. It's, it's really like uh, this, this um, it's a hero, but you really notice the hero's journey. He really, like, he suffers it through. He, he's, he's so real. And, and the challenges are so, are so difficult. And when you work with him, like you, you just see an absolutely incredible transition takes place inside of him. And, um, and the story of Yosef is really one for us to get to every year. Because you know what the rebel once told the story about the lady who was granted a tzenarena from, she got a gift of a tzenarena, so she was, she was unlettered and, and didn't know, um, she was illiterate, so she couldn't read anything. But uh, she knew the Yiddish. She couldn't read the Chumash that the Yiddish she could read. So they gave her a, um, the story to read. And for the first time in her life, she heard the story of Yosef. And she read it once through, and she was crying and crying and crying and crying the whole way through as Yosef goes into the meet his brothers. And then that moment, and they just take him and they, and they sell him. And it was so awful. And she was just shocked by what, it, what happened. And then, you know, and she goes through every step of the way. She's living with Yosef. And then comes um, that moment when he gets taken as king and she's just beyond excited. She can't believe it. And then the next year she reads the story again. And so the rabbi told the story, he says, so she reads the story again and she sees that his brothers are out there and the guy tells him, your brothers are over there in the field and he goes out and he's going on the way to meet them. And she knows the story from last year. So she's like, don't go, don't go. And then he goes. And they put him in the pit and they throw him into the pit again. And this time she says, you fool. No compassion. Don't you know what happened last year? Why did you go again? Shouldn't have gone. When did the rabbi say that? You can listen to it on Maisa Rav. I forget the exact time when it was said, but it's a story that the rabbi told. On, on tape. Um, it's quite a powerful story. You know why? Because he's asking you the question. Saying she sounds like you know she's done a, a fool, but uh, you're reading the story again. Why did he go again? Meaning, why do you need to read the same story as last year and the year before and the year before? You did it in kindergarten. Why are you still reading the same story if you know it? And the answer is the point is that get real. This is not a story of what happened once. This is not the story of him way back when. It's not a storybook. It's a story of you. And the only way to read the parsha is if you're able to accept and understand and appreciate what's happening to you in this moment. So let's take a look at this 
this moment when Yosef goes from, from being literally, literally the favorite, and he's in the, the most incredible, glamorous place you could ever imagine. He's with his father, and his father treated him royally. Yeah, because the mother passed away, all the reasons, but the bottom line is his father gave him all the attention in the world, and he gave him a Ksenis Pasim, a special um, garment, the colorful garment, and he taught him Torah when the brothers were away. His father sent him to go see what they were doing, right? What was he doing with, with his father? He was learning Torah. He had a one-on-one session with Yaakov Avinu. There could be no better place to be in. And he was having all these glamorous dreams of a future, of everyone bowing down to him. So Yosef was royalty. And then in one moment, in one defining moment, before he even knew what was going on, he walks over to his brothers, all excited and happy to see his brothers. Shocked that it was his brothers, there wasn't any enemies who did it to him. His brothers forced him into the pit, put him there all alone and abandoned, and then they didn't stop at that, they actually sold him, and, um, and then he actually became a slave, and then he was sold from one to another to another, he was whipped and lashed and, and, and abused in every single way possible. And then he goes down and he became a slave. And before he knew it, he was just, he couldn't believe how it had happened. Shocking. And then from a slave, he tried his best and he was like, he was trying to be good. And instead of being rewarded, what does he get? Hmm? He gets punished and thrown into a dungeon. Things go from bad to worse, to worse, and then just when you think it's the worst, it gets worse. And then there's a glimmer of light, and the butler seems to be able to save him, but he doesn't. And Yosef seems to be forever lost. When the story begins, the words used in the Pasuk are, the Yosef Hurad Mitzrayimah. The words Yosef Hurad Mitzrayimah, Yosef Hurad means he... Yorad, he was to fall. Don't read this yet. Yarad means to fall. What's to fall? He descended. He was on a high and he fell. That's the story. So when you speak about Hurad meaning to fall, that is the story because that's what Yosef felt. He felt humiliated. He felt abandoned. He felt defeated. He felt helpless. Every negative emotion you could imagine, he probably was very depressed. I would be if I was in that position. Yosef Arad Mitzrayim, Yosef fell down into Mitzrayim. But somehow, the story ends off, and you've got to wait. You've got to wait basically 13 years before it gets to part one of anything good, and then all the way to the end of 22 years, for the real good to come out of it, where Yaakov gets to meet Yosef as king, the end is unbelievable. It's just incredible. The question we have is not the end. The question is, how do we live the interim? The shocking, difficult, challenging, humiliating sections of our lives. Because what Yosef did was unbelievable. You see, to say that Yosef was on a pedestal would not be true. Because take a look at what Yosef tells the butler 
when he's asking him to, um, to mention him to Pari. What does he say to him? He says, what do, you, what do you think, what feeling do you feel in this? Ki gunavti what does that mean? I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and I did nothing wrong. I was placed into, a, into this dungeon for no reason. What does that feel like? Can you feel the frustration? Can you feel the resentment? The anger? The helplessness? I did nothing wrong and look what happened to me. So Yosef's living with all those feelings but somehow... And it's absolutely incredulous. Somehow what happens is he becomes an Ish Matzliach. He becomes a successful person. It's unbelievable. Like, how do you become succe- successful when you're such a failure? If I would have looked, if I was Yosef and I was having those dreams, I would say, See, I thought, I, I was dreaming. Why was Yasef dreaming in the first place, right? Why was he dreaming? Because everything was going the right way. Because he was, you know, like dreams tell a little bit of truth. So everyone's bowing down to me. Why did he feel that? Well, wouldn't you feel that way? His father was singling him out and, and teaching him directly and giving him the, 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 the coat and everything beautiful that his father was doing for him. And if you're wondering why his father showed favoritism, the real answer is because Yasef needed it. No one was to need him more than Yosef, right? He was going to be, when, when he was with the wife of Potiphar, there was only one thing that stopped him from sinning. What was that? His father. His father stopped him. So it's an unbelievable thing that his father actually did for him, yes. His father actually, I mean, the brothers interpreted as favoritism, and that's where their, their issue came in, but his father sensed that this kid needs more attention than any of the other kids, and so he gave him more attention. How did Yosef become a successful person when he was the most unsuccessful person? If you follow right that moment when he suddenly gets sold, I would be thinking all my hopes were just dashed. All my dreams were just crushed. Because I was my father's favorite. Now what happened? Now I was thrown to the ground and stepped on and, you know, just in case crushed to a pulp. There's nothing left of me. That's what I would have felt like if I was Yosef. I would have said, Hashem, I don't get it. What did I do wrong? I had some dreams. This is why I deserve this? Really? I would be very angry and resentful. And I'm sure Yosef was. He's not, he's not denying his feelings, right? But what's unbelievable is, he Hashem is Yosef, he Ish Matzliach, he became an Ish Matzliach in the most unsuccessful circumstances possible. He became a successful slave. What's a successful slave? It means he's the head of the household. And then he became a successful dungeon man. So he became the head of the dungeon. That's what he was. It's amazing. How do you do that? The answer is that the word hurad has another meaning. There's another way to read the story. On Yudtes Kislev Tovshin Mem Aleph it was the year of Hakil, like this year. And the Rebbe gave a Sikha. And at the end of the Sikha, he explained this idea. And look it up in Sikha's Kodesh. It's quite fantastic. 
Yutas Kislev Tavshin Mem Aleph. And there he says that the Yosef Hurad Mitzrayma Medrash Rabbah has another translation of Hurad. Hurad can also mean the Huroide. Roide, a Rode is a, a ruler. That's a Roide. And the Pasuk says in Tehillim, when you say, What does that mean? It doesn't mean he will descend, he will fall from sea to sea. Tzadik will rise. And what's going to happen to him? He will rule from coast to coast, from sea to sea. Isn't that weird that the same word of, well, Vayered, this word means both, right? That means to fall, and the, this, the shares would be Reish Dalet. Hey, that's true, not Yud Reish Dalet, but the word Vayered means both. It means to fall, and it means to control. How does it make sense that the same word which means to fall means to control? The answer is, the story is told on two levels. Both dimensions are happening simultaneously. It's a fascinating ex- experience. What happens is, on the one hand, Yosef is going from high to low to low to low to fall all the way down. On the one hand. There's another way to tell the story. The story is that Hashem wanted to make Yosef king of Mitzrayim, of Egypt. And there's only one way to do that. Because if you say to Yosef, Yosef, would you like to leave your father's home and would you like to go and down to Mitzrayim and become the king over there so I can fulfill your dreams? He would say, no, no thank you. So what did Hashem do? Hashem pulled Yosef out. He says, Yosef, you're awesome, you're amazing. You're having these dreams and, and I see your point, okay? I feel like your father gave you all you need. Now we're going to go down to Mitzrayim. Why must you suffer? Very simple. Because all the Jews throughout history are going to be known by the name of Yosef. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, right? Noheg Katzon Yosef. What does that mean? That all the Jewish people, all of Klal Yisrael, is known as Yosef. Hashem guides his sheep like Yosef. We are all known by the name of Yosef. Why? Because he saved us. And he didn't just save us because he, he sustained us. What Yosef gave, gave us was... He taught us throughout history how to survive anything. In other words, the very fact that we're having a class today learning about Yosef and we're able to understand and appreciate what Yosef's going through and it's going to, hopefully, God willing, help every single one of us in our lives, right? That's why Yosef had to go through what he had to go through. So that thousands of years later, we could be sitting here and actually get through our issues as a result of him, yes? Right. 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 So what are you asking? So isn't that completely against the whole thing of Hold on. Let me explain to you something. You don't have the Hirohafshis about anything except for the Hirohafshis. You have free choice in one area only. And that is the decision on how to relate to whatever happens to you. In case you didn't notice. Nothing that happens to you is by your choice. Nothing. Including the things you think are by your choice that you chose to do. So Yosef could have been blaming himself for what happened. And that itself was happening because Hashem wanted it to happen. But he controlled one thing. And that is the viewpoint and the perspective that you have. 
that you control. So what was really going on in the story is that he wasn't going down, he was going deeper. Hashem says, okay, look, I'm going to draw you down. I want to put you in situations that are very, very difficult because I want you to be able to help your children for future times. On a very basic level, I want, you, I want to bring Yaakov down to Egypt in royalty. I want the Jews to go down to Mitzrayim on a deeper level and be able to endure and not succumb to all the temptations and lure and immorality of Mitzrayim. We have to go someone who's holy, has to go down there. You didn't do anything wrong, Yosef, but I believe that you have the power to withstand this temptation. Go for it. I'm sending you as my emissary, my messenger, to go bring Hashem to a place where He never was before. That's your mission. And He's sending Him on that mission. And all Jews throughout the ages are going to be benefiting from what you did at this point. If He would have asked Yosef, if you want to go down, He would have said no. But Yosef knows intuitively Hashem doesn't ask you about what your mission in life is. It just takes you there. But you're never going down. You're always going up. See how incredible it is? He's roide, the yerd. He's going to dominate. So the story told in two levels. One is like that. That's what you see. And the other one is like that. If you met Yosef six months into his, uh, his uh, journey, when he was in Poitifar's household, or you met him seven years into his journey, in the middle, while he's in the dungeon, what would you tell him? He would say, Yosef, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so, so sorry. It's unfair. You have every right to be depressed. Yeah, this isn't fair. Hashem, I don't know why Hashem does this. I, I don't know. But if you look back in retrospect with 2020 hindsight, what was going on? He was on a rise. He was getting up to be able to control the whole Mitzrayim. Except the greatness of Yosef was he was able to see this in the moment. I'll go back to a story which... Yeah, the story is that every single thing that goes on in your life, including the ones that look terrible and look bad, are actually incredible and unbelievable. Sometimes you get to experience them right away, and sometimes it takes generations until they realize it. That happens. But every single thing that, happen that happens to you is good and incredible. And what you want to do is be able to see the goodness. The difference between, feeling like, between failure and success is not what happens to you, it's how you experience what happens to you. So what does Yosef do every time he feels helpless? I'm lost. I'm, I'm totally lost here. And then what does he say? Hashem, I'm accepting your plan. And then he becomes, moves forward, a step forward. And he becomes a successful person. What defines you as a success is how you relate to what happens to you. I'll give an example, which granted ended well, but they didn't know it ended well. And that is that, so we discussed the story, right? But Shalom Arthur if you analyze, like, what happened at that moment, yeah? So, Aleph Tavis, the day before his release, is the worst moment of his life. Now, take a look what happens. He, he gets this message, right, which says that, okay, so sorry. What? Sometimes what? Sometimes it's going to have to wait even years. Sometimes is it? It's going to be very dark and seven that you're going to have to wait even years in jail. Bringing that muscle. You know, there's a, the Orachayim says on Sarah Imenu. It's not always that it's 
or a Chaim and Sarah man who says, Sarah died young, right? She died young than she was meant to die. 127, she died, but she was actually meant to live much longer. So why did she die? Because the, the Malachamavis basically attacked her, right? So he, he, um, he frightened her with what happened with uh, Yitzchak, right? So he says, the Pasuk Sarah to tell you that Sarah's life that she was allotted was 127 years. That's it. She had 127 years to live. The question was, she was going to die at 127 years, going to die young. The question was, how would she die? Right? So don't ever think that it's true, she died because Amal was told her, but don't ever think that she could have lived longer. So she died in, a, in an absolute space of Kiddush Hashem, of the Pashtas, the excitement of what happened that moment. I told this to a guy because he was in a very horrible space. Like his, his, his wife died, basically, a few years ago and left him with a, with a bunch of kids and it was horrendous. And he told me that he's feeling guilty and blaming himself for her death. Why? Because he showed me the text that Hatzalah said to go to that hospital and her doctor said to go to this hospital and he wanted to, and Hatzalah told him the doctor's wrong. We have enough experience about this. You got to, don't go there. And he shows me that like, they, the, the big guy on something, don't go, go over there. While they're going out already of the house, they're texting him and he's on, on the thing. And he says, I made a decision to go there because also it was just closer to home and it would be more convenient. He didn't hop that it was life and death and took her to the wrong hospital and literally two hours and she was gone. So he's blaming himself for her death. So I was saying to him, you know, just realize this. It would have happened anyway. The life she was allotted was that amount of time. And it's not your fault that that happened. Nothing that happens is your fault. Hashem is ordaining and creating and doing and achieving and that's what He's doing. And in the Yosef story, if you pause at any given moment, if you say, okay, what if He would have died in the dungeon? I don't know. Then another story would have happened. But here's the thing. Every single thing Hashem does is ordained by Hashem, not by you. And Hashem is only good. And when you live in that good, you're able to see more of that good. Right? That's the idea here. So, if you go back to Rubashkin's story, the day of Aleph Tevis, when he gets told, you're toast. It's incredible because until that moment, it was almost like crystal clear that he was going to be let out. It was obvious. I mean, you know, when you have so many uh, judges and district attorneys and attorney generals and, uh, and senators and, 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 and congressmen and, and, and everyone rallying for him. There's so many going on and so many people are writing petitions, you know, and it's clear that the judge was, was, um, was biased in her opinion. And it's crystal clear that the FBI were the ones who messed up and you didn't actually do anything wrong. It's, 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 a, it's a totally airtight case, right? It's obvious you're going to be free. And then what happens? I don't know. Everything goes wrong. They say, sorry. Uh, we're locking you up for the next 18 years and throw out the key. And there's no more motion for appeal at all. It's over. It's done. So now you realize that the system has failed you completely. So he says, all the time, up until that moment, I had been talking... I was trusting Hashem. Absolutely, I was trusting. 
But the level of trust that I got in Hashem, that moment was a whole different world. What was the difference? Beforehand, what was the level of trust? It was like, okay, I trust Hashem. But you know that there's something that could be done legally. So as much as he says, every time the lawyer was asked, I told the lawyer, it's Hashem. It's not really, it's just Hashem that's doing it. And it's not us. But I didn't really believe it. Like inside, I was like, yeah, something's going to help and something's going to happen. That moment was the one moment when it was over. And now it was crystal clear, there's nothing I could do. And at that moment, I feel this absolute sadness about to fall over me. And he says, like, at night, I'm expecting it to come. At night, I'm fighting like Yetzirah because the Yetzirah says, I'm a human being. So the Yetzirah gets starting to get depressed. You're here for the next 18 years. And then I tell the Yetzirah, I switch the meaning of the word. You see? The Yosef Hurad Mitzrayimah, what does it mean? It means both. Whatever you want it to mean, that's what it means. If you read the story of Yosef fell down into Mitzrayim, then you're right, he fell down. If you read the story and you say Yosef was dominating Mitzrayim, then you're also right. The difficulty is that it's both. So I'm reading the story, I'm feeling the, the fall, I'm feeling the absolute misery, hurrah, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And you let yourself feel it. Don't deny that you're feeling helpless. Accept, I'm feeling helpless. And then restructure, retranslate, work on yourself to say, yes, but I know that Hashem is running the story. Because I read that story of Yosef, not as a story of old. Read the Parsha of today, not like the Tzanarena lady, who read it like something that happened once. Read it like something that's happening in your life today, which means it's got to apply to you and to your life today. Take a few moments. Not a vort on the Parsha, it's living the Parsha. It's look in your life and say, okay, am I feeling this now? Am I in a state which is miserable? Accept the hurad, it's hurad, yes. And then what do I do? Flip the story. What's really going on? What? You don't make up no story because you don't know what the story is. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. You accept that you're in the hands of Hashem. There's a couple parts to that. Part one is let go of your dreams. Yosef had a dream. His dream was to be the, the ruler. And that's what he was trying to do the whole time with Yaakov. He was trying to be the ruler. What did Hashem do? Shattered his dream. Hashem first shattered his dream. Yosef let go of his dream of being the ruler. Right? He let go. Like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I guess it meant to rule the dungeon. What does it mean to let go of his dream? I mean, well, think about it. He was dreaming the whole time, right? People dream because things are happening in their life. His father was favor- giving him favoritism. No, I'm saying that what does it mean for us? Expectations. I'm not dreaming of being. If you have... You are, in some level, on, in, on your level, you're dreaming of something that's going to happen where you're going to be, right, achieving something you want to make. Like, if I want to make a family and I'm dreaming of the beauty and all that that's going to happen, etc., 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 right? Those are dreams. And sometimes dreams get shattered, right? So let go of the dream and say, Hashem, I'm agreeing with whatever you have. And then you tell Hashem, I want to feel this way. And I want, this is the feeling that I'm looking for. And you show Hashem, I'm feeling this feeling already now. 
which means that's what we discussed, right? It's a matter of being able to see. It's tough. It's difficult. And I'm in a horrible space and I don't see the light. Yosef couldn't have seen the light at all. But what does he do? He says, Hashem, I know I'm in your hands. So I feel the helplessness. I give up my dream. And then I give it over to Hashem. That's the Shalom Marit right? He gave up the dream totally. Gave it up completely. Said, Hashem, I got it. If you want me to stay in 18 years, I accept it. I know that you're going to get me somehow out of this. Now take a look what happened. It was unbelievable. Because had he been released based on the Eighth Circuit Court, they would have released him. You know what they would have said? Okay, we accept time served. You've already been locked up for eight and a half years. We'll accept that. That's normal. If you would have heard, okay, Rubashkin is released from prison because they let him go. Would you have been happy? Sure. Would you have got, gone out and danced spontaneously and ecstatically together with tens of thousands of Jews on the same night? No, you wouldn't have. You know why? Because what happened was so unexpected and so exciting that it caused that unbelievable spontaneity in the dancing. When Rabbi Kotlaski announces at the Kinnas Hashlochem, he says, okay, he likes to say that line, right? After this, we'll all break out into spontaneous dancing. That's not spontaneous. And you don't feel the same euphoria. It's very nice, keep doing it, but it's not spontaneous. What happened on that Motzei Zeis Hanukkah was, it was a jump, a cry for joy. Why? Because, as the Alter Rebbe says, the muscle, the analogy of Tzipra and the bear is a talking bird. People don't get excited by talking humans, they get excited by talking birds. Because that's interesting. If the court would have said, you're free, okay, it's normal. The court said no. There was every reason natural in the books. Der Chateba was done, toast. And then came that transitional moment when he gets, the way he describes it, it's unbelievable. I'm locked up in that cell, locked up from one second to the next. And I'm, I, I, I make my meal to, uh, you know, Zeus Hanukkah. And then, and I'm still in a state of euphoria because, you know, because I'm in Hashem's hands. And then the guy comes straight to my cell, opens the cell, he says, um, come with me. I say, where are we going? And then I realize I could better take my towels and fill them with me quick. I get to the office, and in the office, the lady warden, the head of the, of the prison, she's silent. And it's unbelievable, she's never done this before. And then she says, um, Mr. Rubashkin, and I hear the first mark of respect in so many years. I'm a mister? You mean, you give me some respect? Wow. The President of the United States has granted you clemency and um, commuted your sentence. And uh, bye. Like that. Now, it would take some, you, she would take, you've got to go back to the cell, we'll let you out tomorrow or the, or the next week. Or, no. And we got a call from the White House, so we should please expedite the process and let you out even before the papers come out. That. That, that transition, that powerful, incredible moment of from one second to the next, right? In Mitzrayim, when they got out, it was terrifying, one second. That's what caused the euphoria. You know why it happened? Because the day before, he gave up, gave over to Hashem every single one of his dreams. He said, Hashem, all yours. And, that's, and it was true. 
So long as he was clinging on to his own sense of belief and dreams and what he intended it to be, Hashem couldn't do it. So it's amazing. In his case, it's amazing. Because he had bitachon all the time. But what he's saying is, I didn't, I, I had, but I still believe deep down that Hashem, yeah, but there was still a lawyer and some judge who could, who, could, who could save me. But the second that was over and done, now Hashem is able to take over. You see the hurad, hurad, which one do you read? I was hurad. I was told by the court, no. Why was I told no? Well, that's why the president said yes, right? Because what the president was doing was waiting to see if the court would say yes or no. When the court said no, he was like outraged. How dare you? Like what a chutzpah. And then he was like, hey. And then it was the right president, right moment. Everything, like, sure, everything natural, yeah? Every single piece just fit. You see God's hand, fit, and zap. All because of his bitachim that he was able to flip hurad to hurad. That's the key. The key is, this is what the Rebbe says in the Sikha, basically. Learn the Sikha. He says, when you feel in the moment, right? We want to do this not after we hear the story. We want to do it on the other phase. In that real moment, in real time, you want to be able to realize it's not what you think it is. Let go of your dream. One second. Let go of your dream. You know why you should let go of your dream? Because your dream is not going to happen. But it did happen. It didn't. It didn't. I guarantee, he, he couldn't have dreamed of what ended up happening. It was so much more than anything you could have dreamed of. Hashem's plans are far greater. He's bleak vul Hashem. He can do anything. His plans are far greater than you could ever, ever begin to imagine and hope for. So when you let, you feel, I'm, 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 in, I'm in a state of hurad. I feel this absolute pain. I'm lost. Shoots. This is terrible. Accept the pain. And then what do you do? Flip it. Hashem is still with me. And you let go of every dream that you have, and then you say, but Hashem, I'm just letting go, letting you in. Yes. Right. Correct. That's what Sholomar agreed. I 100% agree. That's what Sholomar says. He says, when I was pushed, I had bitachon all the time, but it wasn't real bitachon until I was pushed to a corner. Right? But now, here's the story. Had he been pushed to that corner five years earlier, maybe he would have been released earlier. Because all that was needed was his bitachon to draw it out. So yeah. I don't know. I'm not God. But I'll, I'll tell you this much. So I told you the story, right? I had the same exact story. Not as, as worldly or whatever, but it was the same thing. Last year, basically, I told you this, we got a house and it was, an, it was a miracle how we got this house. The guy gave us a donation of a house to build the yeshiva. And I was so excited, like, wow, Hashem, unbelievable. And then what happened was, this guy, Nochelobavitcher guy, comes over and is pushing everyone who gave the house and was donating, that like, you open that yeshiva and I shut you down. And I was so mad at him, I was so outraged, I couldn't believe it, like, what? Lubavitcher guy is shutting us down and that's what's happening? And like, Hashem, you gave us a miracle and this is what you're doing? And then the guy tells me, would you like to speak to him? And I was like, no, but I have to. I felt such anxiety. Whoa! For 24 hours, it was up and down. It was, the, it was like a height of anxiety. And then I was like, by the time I got to the call, I said, okay, Hashem, you are in control. Hashem, I'm giving, giving up my dreams. I was imagining that all the Bachem are going to be taken away, locked up in, um, you know, locked up in prison, and all the parents were screaming at me, and it was going to be the worst thing possible. That's what I was imagining in my nightmares. 
And I accepted, that's from Hashem, good. And then I said, Hashem, I know you're with me. Go for it. God, you're with me. And it was the most calm and beautiful hour and a half conversation with him. And what ended up happening was that two months later, we didn't get the house. We lost the house. Exactly like he had wanted. It's exactly what he wanted. He won. He wanted us to lose the house. We did. Except, what? The what? I don't know. But what we got was a five-acre property worth $5 million, which we still haven't bought yet. God needs to help us still. But we got it, and, we're, and the yeshiva opened up there, and I was like blown away by how this is, because my dream was that he would say yes, and then he wouldn't stop us from opening up in that house. You see how I was limiting Hashem's powers? But the second I was able to accept, hurad, what does hurad mean? I feel the anxiety. God, I don't know why you're doing this to me. I'm resentful. I'm really angry. But I accept that whatever Hashem does is good, and whatever Hashem does is that's what he wants. That's the moment I was able to, I was able to flip. Yes. You have a question? Um, what? One second, let me just finish the Nakuda here. The answer to the question, right, of how are you able to live with neshama, right? That question, how do I identify as a neshama that nothing else defines me and how to flip others? That's the answer. That's the sikha. Hurad versus hurad. What does it mean? Are you going to translate it as to fall, in which case you did fall, or are you going to be able to see what's behind it? The Yerd Miyom Adyom. Your life is the most amazing life ever. Accept the frustration, accept the resentment and the helplessness. Accept your dreams are shattered. And feel, feel the, the helplessness of that. And then you say, Hashem, I get that you're still with me and you're making it happen. I'm throwing myself at you. And Hashem, you're doing it. This is Pasuk number three of of um, get out of your Mitzrayim escape the definition of how they define you find your inner definition find, say Hashem I'm watching it happen, I know I'm ecstatic in a state of euphoria in the current moment and watch the miracles transpire and then you live a life of Nishama, a life of Geula